couple of them, haven't you? Yeah, there. It started now. There was a uh, a Guru Viking episode number twenty, yeah. where he asked me some of the stuff about what happened a long time ago. And so uh, I don't think that this part of the story was uh, in what I told him. But basically, I left Goenka feeling like he wasn't teaching enough, that there was something missing, not just in my own practice, but in the way that they were teaching. There was something missing. That was the, the strong feeling that I got. And uh, uh, I think fairly soon after that, I wound up in Bodh Gaya. That's India? In India, right. But uh, you see, uh, Goenka was in uh, uh, Igatpuri, which is in Maharashtra state, kind of halfway or a bit between uh, Bombay and Delhi, uh, to where uh, Bodh Gaya is much closer to um, Calcutta. That would be the largest city, or Varanasi would be another city in that vicinity, actually closer to Varanasi. So I don't know if you've been to India. I mentioned four cities, so I don't know if you know this area. No, I mean, we, I, I kind of, I think I flew into uh, Calcutta, um, was in the airport, but I kind of went down the, I guess it would be down the sort of west coast. So I did, did a yoga retreat in Tamanadu and then kind of went up to Goa and then kind of went down Kerala, like Cochin, Barkala, down mm -hmm. South Point, Srivandrum. And then back up to, then I was sort of running out of money, went back up to Mumbai, uh -huh. um, got lost in the city, had a bit of a scary kind of incident. <laughs> well, you know what, I got, I've got one week left, I'm going to go back down to Goa and just chill out for a week rather than uh, um, dealing with a uh, corrupt policeman and, and all this kind of thing. <laughs> uh -huh. so. Okay, well there's over in the Calcutta area, another city in that vicinity is Patna. Uh, and there's also one of the main kind of uh, tourist uh, backpackers um, way of getting into Nepal. Oh, yeah, so the north, sort of north, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're in, in north, yeah, never went north, east, northeast uh, India area. Yeah, yeah. Varanasi, and uh, this is the area that the Buddha uh, hung out in, and in fact his birthplace and the area that he actually was born would now be in modern-day Nepal. Really? Okay. Uh, and that um, also he was uh, friends with the kings in in the more southern areas in uh, King Hasadi uh, uh, and uh, oh, I forgot his name. Uh, I'll think of it in a moment. Uh, Bimbisara. And so that was the area that he lived in. And the idea then uh, that there are four sacred places. The place where he was born, the place that he died, the enlightenment place, and the place that he first taught the Dhamma. And so all of those are in that whole vicinity there, that Bodh Gaya 
is the place where he became enlightened. And that's also the area where they were practicing heavy austerities. Naturally, if he goes to the very best austerity master in India, that's where he's going to give it up, is when he was there. And so that's the area of, uh, of Brahmanism and austerities and a lot of stuff like that. Um, and uh, the Deer Park, it is Titania, is where he gave the Dhammachaka Pavanta Sutta. He also was in Varanasi, and he had a lot of followers in Varanasi, including uh, Anthropitika, uh, um, who was a kind of a banker of the day. And he was the one who was really, he was the money bags. And he bought property from uh, one of the princes to uh, make a grove uh, <clears throat> in that area uh, for the monks to stay in. Okay, so anyway, that's where I was in uh, Bodh Gaya and Varanasi and uh, Isatanya, but I was hanging out mostly in Bodh Gaya, reading the Vasudhi Maga. And I did a, and I did a course with uh, Christopher Titmus there Oh, really? I think that was in December of 2000, uh, excuse me, 1983. Or was it 2082? Something like that. I think it's 83 I did it, yeah. Because uh, uh, shortly after that, I met a monk there at that temple. I was at Wat Thai Bodh Gaya. And... Uh, that's where I met this monk who actually, we had many conversations. He spoke fairly good English. And one day he caught me with the Vasudhi Maga and he t actually took it away from me. Well, took it off you. Like. He took it off of me, right. Here I am, I'm trying to quote to him out of the Vasudhi Maga and he takes it away from me, folds it up and, and kind of half throws it over onto the bed. <laughs> And that's when he started uh, deeper introductions to me about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, that I got to go to Thailand. This is where I found out about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, was in uh, 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 Bodh Gaya. Christopher, Christopher Titmus talks about Buddha Dasa. I think he studied with Buddha Dasa as well. There's a, there's he did too, yes. In fact, he was, uh, uh, but it, <laughs> it, did, it took a while to click in. I think that uh, uh, Christopher is a, a much more subtle teacher, but the way that I, the reason that I teach the way that I do is because of uh, uh, conversations I've had with Achan Po that uh, not to teach Buddhism in two steps, in the mundane and the super mundane and guide students part of the way through the mundane and then take them into the super mundane, which is the way for ordinary people. That uh, because of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, Achan Po said, no, the right way to do it is take the super mundane right from the very beginning. Let's, let's teach the real teachings of the Buddha uh, as if the people were actually ready for it. It's time to let the cat out of the bag, basically which is what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa did. But this, there's a very, very interesting story about uh, what happened to him in the 1930s was that he was a, uh, 
a Pali scholar in, in uh, uh, Bangkok going through the various, they've got nine levels of Pali studies. And I think he was like study number six or something like that. Um, and so um, he was also doing public speaking. I think he had been a monk about 10 years by then. Uh, and that um, one, <clears throat> one group of, <clears throat> excuse me, one group of, uh, of lessons that he was giving had too many people in the audience who did not like what he was saying. I guess you could call them rebirthers, hardcore rebirthers. And so um, uh, they made a stir. And the stir got to the point that it became what is called a Sangha de Sessa, which is an accusation that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is trying to destroy or to tear apart the Sangha, a very, very severe uh, 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 act within the Sangha, that the whole idea of the Sangha is it should be unified, and here he is doing things that's trying to destroy the Sangha. Like a heretic. He's a heretic, right, a heretic, exactly. Heretic. <laughs> and a so... Pain in the ass, like, like... A big one, a very, very big one. And as you can see, that if you could keep the people believing uh, like sheeple, that they are making merit by building temples and uh, feeding the monks that they'll continue to do so. That was the fear, that if the real noble Dhamma came out, people would stop being generous for the wrong reasons. The reality is, is that when people begin to hear the truth, they become generous for the right reasons. For the sake of it, yeah, for the... Uh-huh. Many times students ask if they can pay me, and I won't let them. Because I've got better plans. <laughs> Get them hooked. <laughs> so that they'll go and spread the Dhamma. And so um, this is how it goes, is the Dhamma should be freely given. Uh, and even a subtle uh, manipulation, like, oh, if you feed the monks, you'll have a better life next life is like a built-in scam or promise. Yeah. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa didn't like the feeling of that. Um, but because of uh, historical circumstances, uh, the nobility of the Dhamma was not lost, wasn't ever lost, wasn't lost in Burma, wasn't lost in uh, uh, Sri Lanka. Um, it was only lost in India because everything was lost in India. Uh, but the nobility was, was always there in the sense that it was nobles who brought Buddhism to Thailand. Therefore, the nobility is going to be implanted there as well as all of the formalities of the surface level of Buddhism, plus all of the beliefs that the people already had. So if the people already believed in reincarnation, the nobles are not going to try to beat it out of them. And that's why the nobility of the nobles and the um, um, ordinary people lived side by side 
uh, or let us say within the Sangha. So some of the Sangha was noble and some of it was not, but they were still monks for many, many years. They just never did quite figure out that, hey, they can give up their beliefs and be happy instead. Yeah, but it was kind of a necessary vehicle. Mm -hmm. So actually you could say then that magical think is, is necessary to get us started, but it's like the booster, uh, uh, the first primary stage rockets, um, putting a spacecraft up, that you need that really, really heavy energy to get this thing off into the air. But once you get up, uh, um, you get into flight, you can jettison all of the crap and get on with the show with a primary rocket. Yeah. Which okay. The whole point originally. Okay. Yeah. And so magical thinking around the Dhamma is what gets people launched into the Dhamma, but then they have, in order to, to go into the outer space of uh, the noble existence, they have to jettison all of those old beliefs. Because it's, you, it's about the reality, which is now, mm. as opposed okay. to... The, Exactly, exactly. But you see, you can think of it in three stages. And that the, and two of the stages can be thought of as uh, the same predicament. Okay, let us actually, for just um, description's sake, put those in with the labels of atheists and Christians, just for pub for discussion purposes, okay, because it also happens within Buddhism, but it's a little more difficult to see. In Christianity, they say that the, that the soul uh, goes on, that it is strong enough to survive death and a good deal after that, but it's still not on its own because it's really nothing but a football for God to kick around. And so you got to suck up to God to get him to treat you well. Okay. So and the is, atheist. So I was just going to say, isn't it built in the, in a way there's a kind of, the more you suffer in this life, the kind of better really, you know what I mean? You're proving your worth. You're kind of, I'm such a, I'm such exactly a. So when you do all of the work that you've got to do, when you suffer enough, then you can get forgiveness or you'll finally get paid or something. There's a kind of pride in, in that suffering that you'll, you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the law of karma. And, yeah. You do good, you'll get good results. You do bad, you'll get bad results. No longer, no matter how long it takes, you'll eventually it'll get, you'll get caught up with. So they say. And yet, look at how many wealthy people got their wealth and keep their wealth by dirty dealing and shenanigans and manipulating uh, politicians. And but that's on the mundane level, isn't it? You could, if you view it from it's on every level. So if you, but if you oh, view that, it, they probably don't. But you're right. You are right. They don't mm. sleep at night, you know, and they don't, you know. Yes, I'm just using that as an example. Um, so <clears throat> sorry. To, to, to go into the mundane level means that we can assume that the student has already come far enough that they're ready to jet, jettison that baggage anyway. So 
back to the idea of us of an atheist very few christians are going to come talk to me on uh skype and and argue with me about and and whatnot there's no reason for them to do that so those that are believing in eternalism um, are are not the issue. The ones who believe that uh, that there is a soul that goes on and on is, is that there's, is that eternalism? Is that what is that what it means? Right, that is eternalism. Okay, and in fact, there's two kinds of eternalism. Absolute eternalism means it keeps going on and keeps going on, and a trillion years after that, it keeps going on. Okay. And then there's the idea of eternalism that after trillions of years, eventually, it will stop. But that that time is so far into the future that the result is the same as if it were eternalism. So eternalism and semi-eternalism are often bagged the same way in the sense that there is something that keeps going on and on and on. I've seen this in various teachings that I've looked into, in our in our sort of gap, you know, like yoga teachings and... Mm -hmm. Sort of occult teachings and all sorts of stuff. It's, um... Okay, now let's contrast that to the second kind, which we will call atheist. And the atheists have the kind of belief is like that the uh, the existing being upon the breakup and death of the body is annihilated. This is annihilationism. That yes, here I am. I'm a human being. I thump my chest and I work at my job and all of that. But when I die, I'm dead. Now, both of those miss the point of the Buddhist teaching. So both eternalism, semi-eternalism, and annihilationism miss the point of the teaching of the Buddha. The third one is nihilism, and nihilism is absolutely against the teaching of the Buddha, and even the nihilists know that. <laughs> how, how, how are you defining not so nihilism would be what like? I, I, uh, I, I, nihilism would be like, oh, I can get away with anything. There is no comma. There is no result of anything. There's no mother, no father. I can go do what I damn well please, and I can get away with it. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it was like like there's no meaning. Inherent There's no meaning either. Yeah. I can yeah. go do what I want to do. There's no meaning. And in fact, because there's no meaning, I can go do what I want to do to try to find meaning. And I still don't find any meaning. And so I'm miserable, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. I mean, maybe if you were a psychopath and you had no kind of remorse. That's exactly it. That's yeah. psychopath. Okay. Or you could think of it as very, very primitive times in a dog, a truly dog eat dog uh totally competitive world where even the warlord is going to get knocked off by his uh, lieutenants. Just survival, just pure. Yeah, just raw survival. Yeah. Because if everybody's out just, I'm going to do what anything I want to do, and if you stand in my way, you're dead. Yeah. There are strands of that, obviously, you can see. <laughs> and yeah. so, in fact, you could say that our civilization grew out of that. The civilization grew out of that. How did civilization grow out of that? It didn't grow out of it with pure wisdom, but it grew out of it with retributions of punishment of you do bad behavior, the whole crowd's going to come after you. It's a bit like this like nuclear deterrent, I guess, where every country's got nuclear warheads and 
it kind of keeps the peace because yeah, exactly if China fires one mm-hmm. America's gonna fire one and then we all blow ourselves up and then kind of it's all exactly lit- which means mutual assured destructions means guess what nobody gets away with it yeah now that is what the Buddha would call ordinary right view an ordinary right view encompasses both annihilationism and eternalism and semi-eternalism ordinary right view which basically means is is that you will get punished for what you do wrong which means that you can tell you can teach that to children whether it's a secular household or whether it's a religious household the religious household just uh, adds the no matter what and adds hell as an example of no matter what but secular people do the same thing with their kids they try to teach them between right and wrong and not only that but they seem to learn it better if you look at the statistics in the united states county by county those counties which are highly religious are very very low in morality in the sense of uh, there is more domestic violence, more alcoholism, more uh, psychotherapy problems, more social issues, in, and those, in and religi- those. In, in, sorry, in, in the religious, mm-hmm. really, in religious counties, the morality, according to the statistics, is lower, and in um, counties that are atheist, or, or have very low um, uh, church membership generally have fewer deaths fewer murders fewer break-ins fewer domestic violence less alcoholism less drug abuse what's the root do you know the reasons or, or because the kids believed what the parents told them that hey the cops going to come after you if you do that Common okay yeah uh, yeah but where the kids are told about hell, how, uh, some of them believe it, and many of them don't. They all believe in forgiveness. Oh, I've got to get out of hell free card here. Yeah. I'm a Christian. God loves me. Go do, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I can go do what I want to, and God will forgive me. Get out of hell free card. And you can see where then Christianity and other religions, the morality spirals downward, not upward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like uh, uh, in a non-religious family, the 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 parents saying, "Look, you misbehave, you're going to get a slap." <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so that's a that's a actual. The kid can understand that sort of, you know. Okay. So getting back then to the teachings of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, in Thailand, there are already a lot of people who are Buddhist who did not believe in rebirth anyhow. Just like there's a large number of atheists in the United States that don't believe in the afterlife that the Christians talk about. Which means that those are the ones that are primed for the noble because they've already got no, they can still live a life. They don't have to fall back into um, wrong view of all greed all the time. They actually become really interested in Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. That's why he's got such a mass following in Thailand. It's brilliant. But there was more to it than that. And that is, is that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was noted on both sides. Not only was he noted 
by those who were strongly holding and, and critical of people talking against rebirth and holding to that. But there were those who were also highly placed in Buddhism that knew that rebirth had nothing to do with the teachings of the Buddha. In short, there were already nobles in Thailand, some of them very, very highly and well-placed. You could also go so far as to say that even the royal family of Thailand at one time was, uh, let us say, akin to the nobles, friendly with the nobles, having nobles, uh, uh, noble monks. There was one monk who disrobed in order for himself to become king. He gave up his monkship to become a king, and he was dead within two years, and that made everybody reminisce about what the Buddha said. What sort of time this, what was that, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Or? No, this actually, uh, he died in 1920. He disrobed in 1917. He was born in 1860. He was one of the 46 children of King Mongoot. And when he was eight years old, King Chula, uh, Chula Longhorn became the king, and that uh, they were good friends, and King Chula Longhorn really supported what this monk wanted to do in the Dhamma. And so they actually revolutionized the Dhamma by bringing much more of the wholesome part of the Dhamma in to the public thinking anyway. Does this link slightly to what you mentioned in the Guru Viking, you know, like a benign dictatorship in a way? You, you kind of that I was describing exactly the Thai government. A wise oh. up until the last generation. <laughs> kind of like like you're, you're being the, the wise elders kind of have a strong influence and kind of make the rules because they can see it from a higher perspective, kind of what's good and good. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah, so our best example of that uh, benign dictator or benign king uh, is uh, King Bimbisara, who was the friend of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was friends with the royalty, but it comes from this Sangha de Sesta that I was a story I was about to tell you about. Because he made some really good friends in there and in fact picked up um, a very famous teacher. And that teacher actually went to visit Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa at Wat Suan Mok. His name was Bhikkhu Buddha Gosajarn. Yeah, Bhikkhu Buddha Gosajarn. It was his name. And he was made some debt in 1920 by this very, or uh, 17 by this very king. So that was the connection that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa had with the royal house already, was because his teacher who was on that council in 1932-33, uh, something like that, when Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was put on, on trial, uh, the results of that trial, by the way, came out as he's teaching the correct Dhamma. He was put on trial? The, you, you mean huh? like, he was put on trial? You mean like, he was put on trial, a saying a disaster. <clears throat> like a, an actual court case, in a way. An actual court case of 20 monks. A Sangha decessor required, sorry, I should have pointed that out to you. Yes, yeah. he was put up in a, in a, on a, on trial. But it was all the top monks in Bangkok, and some of them were noble and knew the noble Dhamma, and some of them were not, and they were the ones who, okay, so part of the trial, which lasted for months and months and months, actually turned out to be a poly literature search. 
polylichthys. Because they were, uh, because this group here that was on the side of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa thought that, yeah, maybe now's the time to, to let's do this. And so there was an absolute literature research, uh, search that actually uh, started changing the way that the Thai monkhood at the top looked at things. And so they wound up with a uh, uh, with the verdict was just to get along with the <laughs> old guard was that he was teaching the correct Dhamma to the wrong people. Right. Why? Because he was te- teaching it openly, and he continued his whole life to teach it openly, and the nobles that were supporting him. He, he was actually, he became quite famous because of that. And many of them then wanted him to be their teacher. It was kind of good, so, good publicity in a way. Like, uh, like, oh, it, was, it was such good publicity being on trial and, be, and being accused, or not accused, but being sentenced to teaching the right Dhamma to the wrong people. <laughs> But that's going to draw out like the, the, the maybe the, the rebels and the kind of people that are, that you know kind of into that this, kind of. This story gives me so much respect for Bhikkhu Buddha Das on top of the fact that I actually knew him in his old age. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the story then that he is the one who said it is time to stop. Um, how to say it? Um, putting up with all of the belief systems that people have, if it's time for the Buddha Dhamma to become known worldwide, let's let the real show be known worldwide without having to take Asian stupidity and superstition along with it. Because there's so many Westerns that'll gobble that stuff right up. They came out of Christianity, but rebirth sounds like another ticket back into (laughs) the afterlife. Because you can think of it is, is that the afterlife sounds very delicious. It must be marvelous. If I enjoy being alive a little bit now, maybe I'll enjoy more being alive next time. Hmm. But it's taking away now, isn't it? Uh... And not only that, but the thought of death is the fear of death. Thinking about dying, nobody wants to die. Why do people want to die when we have this instinct called the self-preservation instincts whose major job is to keep us alive and winds up being that which always gets woken up to put us in hell? It is the waking up of this self-preservation and it has many false positives. You could say that that's the self itself is when the self-preservation instinct pops into place. And when it pops into place, it almost always does with fear that that's the primary language of the self-preservation instinct in the sense that things are dangerous right now. So if we can finally talk ourselves back into, hey, man, things are not dangerous. I do not need that self or is preservation instinct to keep interfering with a wonderful life because things are really not dangerous. And it, uh, it, the self-preservation instinct isn't, it's, it's, it hasn't got intelligence as in a way, it just it lashes out, it's, um, it makes your life worse. Like, you know, you could have a moment and 
end up in prison or whatever. And that's right. People wind up in prison because of that momentary uh, self-preservation instinct. They let it out. Just, it can be a strong feeling, though, can it? And it can take over. You know, if, if you if you're not mindful, you know, you're not on the ball. Um, right. So in one flash, it can, can destroy a life or two or a bunch. But we can also see that in the small ways that it can pop up just for a short time, just enough to muck up this moment. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't have to muck up our whole lives and everybody's around us, but it can muck up a day. But I guess that's when that's the kind of the question, isn't it? If you're not happy right now, that survival instinct is doing it. It's doing something no matter how subtly. You know. Exactly right. If you're not happy right now, something that needs the self, uh, the, uh, the the self-preservation instinct is doing something in there. But I guess I guess it, through socialization that it can get more more and more subtle. So I'm not gonna chop your head off, but I might have a little verbal dig and 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 try to tear you down verbally, and 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 then on another level, just like a you know, like a, you know, like I said, gossip, it, there's, it can get more and more refined, I guess, but it, it, at core, it's the same, it's the same thing, you know, you're trying to protect yourself. Oh, okay. Right. Now, what you're describing happens with everybody. You're talking about not just what you've observed in yourself, but you can uh, extrapolate that with the teachings of the Buddha to recognize that that's very common. The human condition. Yeah. It's a human condition, right? And that human condition there is there with both the Christians who believe in a, a reincarnation and the uh, and the uh, Buddhist and Hindus and whatnot that believe in reincarnation and rebirth, and the atheists who don't believe in an afterlife, they still get caught, all of them, in that human condition that you're talking about. I guess you could say the only difference between anyone like myself and someone on death row is maybe in certain moments I was better at controlling the survival instinct compared to the other guy or maybe the other guy had so much alcohol in his system that he couldn't control himself exactly so so if you can see it that way and begin to notice it all it is with sati waking up and investigating what's going on more and more often more and more clearly then the less likely it is is I'm going to allow the self-preservation instinct to spring into gear and take over. Mm. Or even spring into gear and influence. Maybe not even take over, but it does sometimes influence our behavior. I guess that's where sharper and sharper levels of clarity. That would be what would be called then nobility, is when the noble mind is the one that's sharp enough not to elect not to allow the instinct to influence the wisdom. Yeah. I think sometimes so, lot, you come to this if you've come close to being really burnt, you know, and caught, uh, you said in, the, in that talk that I listened to last night with Guru Viking, you know, it's, uh, it's sometimes you catch yourself halfway through. Sometimes it's kind of too late and the optimum would be to catch it, you know, that point of contact so you don't go down that path at all. But, you know, sometimes you might catch yourself 30 seconds into it. Sometimes three days into it and sometimes you know 30 years into it and you think what have i done <laughs> right that from that seed you know um I'm, i guess i'm proud of you for remembering that 
because that was one of the things that I would have liked to have gone over again several times to grind that in for people, and I only mentioned it one time, and you picked right up on it. I feel like I'm coming to the Dharma again for you because it is. I can understand why people say like they're seeking refuge. You know, it's you see the wisdom in the teaching, and you you see the danger. You know, you don't want to let the danger just ruin your enjoyment of life. But you know, it's it's there, and it's it's you want to, and that's why I can see why you would dedicate maybe becoming a monk or something because the opt-in conditions get this thing sorted out first. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, yeah. It's, um. I was in the U.S. Navy, and because of that, I got several things ingrained the way that the Navy guys look at things. And uh, when you use the word refuge, what springs to mind for me is a harbor, a safe harbor, okay? Like the world is actually the high seas. The, where, the other way of looking at it, no, you come ashore, you come back to the world when you're on the high seas. But... When you're on the high seas, that's basically the world that the sailor wants to escape from. So he's looking for that safe harbor. Okay, so uh, that refuge or the safe harbor, the Dhamma, is really a safe harbor from the high seas of the mind. The heavy, heavy seas. The, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the wisdom to navigate, you know, and to find the, you know, to, to navigate and to... Mm -hmm in this world because there's always going to be a, a, a better path of action uh, yeah when I say high seas I'm also talking about the wind and the rain and the storm and there's a lot of storms in, in life uh, when we're dealing with the world and so uh, that refuge or that safe harbor or getting out of the storm is uh, and then we recognize, wait a minute, when I sit down to meditation and I get away from all of that storm, I recognize I brought my own tempest. I've now got a tempest at a teapot. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. And when we recognize that's where the real storm is, is on the inside, now we recognize, oh, but we can still use the Dhamma for refuge from even that storm. Yeah, it's just navigating... The interior landscape, the mm -hmm. interior. So the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So now we begin to uh, manage the interior landscape so that we can stay away from our own storms. And, yeah, and uh, we spoke about last time that, you know, when you can put a roadblock up in a highway just to stop a whole load of problems later down the road just by one simple act, mm -hmm. take a right instead of going over that bridge exactly to think of how much damage that you save and not have by putting your ship put uh, uh into safe harbor as opposed to leaving it out in the storm if you leave your ship out in the storm it's going to have a whole lot of damage and it's going to have a whole lot of work that you got to do to get it back repaired again but you can bring it into safe harbor yeah and it might sound kind of exciting but when you kind of lose a taste for that kind of <laughs> <laughs> of adrenaline, you know, and, and you don't want to play the hero anymore. <laughs> you know, you can't. I know. So that's part of growing up, isn't it? Because there's a part of us as kids that we like those high seas. Yeah, that's why I'm like sort of reading like thriller novels and, and kind of like about <laughs> soldiers and all this kind of stuff. But in reality, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel very nice, does it? <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> so, the, in that regard, it doesn't really matter. And that was the part that it was hard for me to get quite through to uh, to Steve on Guru Viking was that it since the storm of life that we're talking about happens to both the atheist and the Christian, then it doesn't matter what the Christian believes. It's different than what the atheist believes. They both are caught in the storm. Yeah. So the- it doesn't matter for the Buddhist whether he believes in reincarnation or not. That's an irrelevant belief. The question is, can he come out of the storm right now? Has he got the skill? The, the atheist might. The atheist might be just, it's another type of belief. He might, he might believe, like, I don't believe in God, but everything he does kind of it back deep down somewhere inside himself. He still believes in God. Maybe, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he might say he still believes that he's a victim. Okay. He's just not quite so sure of what he's a victim of now. Maybe. Yeah. The, the government or. As right. A, <laughs> or the boss <laughs> or whitey i mean there's a whole lot of different bosses out there yeah, yeah or the missus or you know <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so he's still a victim that's that's the core thing he's still a victim if you're saying anything if you're unhappy for any reason really you're a victim mm-hmm. exactly so that victimhood is the same no matter what anybody believes. Yeah. So whether they believe in anything or not is not the issue. It's an irrelevant topic. Are they suffering or not? Yeah. Right. They're both suffering. Can we come out of our suffering right in this very life? That's the question. And you can see that many Buddhists in Thailand actually rob themselves of asking the right question because somehow or another they've got the idea of, oh, it's too hard to do now. Let me make some merit and I'll uh, get out of my troubles next life. That's a very common belief. And I think that it actually is, um, well, it's part of the mass propaganda. It's a very common belief. I think I, I, the, the, the thing that's coming into my mind is this, it's almost like with money in, in the West. It's like almost like you believe you can buy your way out of anything. Like, you know, you can, but you can't. If you're suffering, it, if you feel it, if you're in the hell realms, you're feeling anxiety or, or any of this sort of stuff. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or you, you haven't got one P. It doesn't really matter, does it? You can't, you can't, you can't buy yourself out of that. You can distract, exactly. maybe you might drive, buy some heroin or something and distract yourself, but you know, you're going to come back, to, you're going to come back again, aren't you? <laughs> um, you know? That, that I would say, um, has been well known for a long time. Uh, the Buddha recommended that also is to not apply or to try to gain monetary wealth that the monks themselves were. Um, a lot of people think that they we're not allowed to handle money, and that's not true. It depends upon what we define money. But actually, the precept is jata rupa rajata patikahana. Patikahana means to receive. So jata rupa rajata is actually gold and silver specifically, and in bullion form, not coinage, that even the uh, archaeology has proven that there was no coinage 
that was done in gold and silver, that it was all brass and copper and tin. They've dug it up. They know what it was. They've even found wooden coins. Even in the time of the Buddha, they had wooden nickels. <laughs> well, I guess if you're coming at it from like, I guess it would be a subset of like, say, right livelihood. Again, the the, the not handling money as a rights rights rules and regulations. If you well, no, if you've got if you've got pocket change, that just makes things easy. If you've got a huge stash, now yeah. you've got to guard it. It's true. Okay. But in time, and you can see those. Here's an example of that, by the way. Just uh, and we'll get on on with it. But in in Thailand, the law of the land, and this is a Buddhist country. They pride themselves on Buddha on being Buddhist, and still the monks have to pay half price. Now, generally, the monks don't have any trouble finding somebody at the train station that's going to buy their half price ticket for them. That's easy enough to do. But many of them don't but they get the money someplace for the ticket. But the point that I'm making is, is that if the monks in Thailand were known to not be able to handle money as a rule, then the law would be that monks would travel free instead of half price. And yet a lot of people in the West think that, oh, the monks can't handle any money at all. No, they can handle a little bit. What is their limit? How much can they stand before they fall over in greed? How big are the pockets on the robes, I guess? Um, right, how big are your pockets? Exactly, exactly. There are stories, and one of them is, is that um, after this old monk died, they went into his private quarters. Nobody had been in there in years, and the whole place was stacked with money absolutely stacked from floor to ceiling, mostly with 20 baht notes, which is the smallest bat note that they have in time. And also great big sacks of money, except that when you looked at the, the, the coinage in there, much of it was already in a little plastic bag of its own. Because in Thailand, what they do is, is on birthdays, people will give, like on your 47th birthday, you will get 47 little ba uh, bags of money, each one of them containing 47 baht. And you go out and give one uh, bag of 47 baht to every monk until you've given 47 of them, and that's your birthday gift to the monks. <laughs> and some of those monks will take that bag of money and just toss it over on the corner until finally they got to clean up. And so here you got this old monk that he's got this whole place is absolutely loaded down with money, wound up being not that much. I mean, it was under $20,000, but oh, such a scandal. <laughs> Instead of being really proud of him, he never spent any of that money. People <laughs> gave it to him as gift, and he just put it there. He didn't care enough about it at all. Because he's, because he's worthless to him, really. Mean exactly. Or he, uh, enough of it was enough. Yeah. Just, yeah, for the bus ride. Mm -hmm. For the bus ride, or, or, or uh, uh, maybe he needs a new razor and he asks his buddy to go get it and he'll give him the money for it. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because most of the stuff is given anyway, and so there's very little that, uh, that the monks need, but the people want to be generous. 
And it doesn't matter whether they believe in rebirth, they still want to be generous to the monks. Makes them feel good. Mm -hmm. And so belief in rebirth is, is, is kind of irrelevant. But you can see where the value is, it is, is that that's the way to control people. Is to tell them if you're a runaway slave, if you run away, even if you don't get caught, you probably will, because we've got people up there. They're going to catch you and bring you back here, and we're going to beat the tar out of you. But even if you escape completely, you know that our God is going to come after you. And so that's the way that it's been all along, is this idea of this comma, is, is that you can't get away from us. We, we, we spoke last time about this kind of fourth level of karma, didn't we? Um, mm -hmm. uh, right. On our side, and I was just, I've been thinking about that lately. I'm just trying to find my yeah. notes. So it's the... Yeah, the karma that is at the end of karma, which is the karma. I remember talking to you about that. Yes, it's so profound, this teaching of the Buddha, that we should have actions that are only useful in this present moment. And if we behave, start behaving like that, we begin to behave less and less with future intentions. Those roadblocks, I, I, I was, so I've been thinking about this because it's sort of, I, I want to understand this, you know, this is something to do with like the super mundane level, mm -hmm. I guess. This yeah. is super mundane. Yeah, and just thinking about it, yeah, and it's, it's almost like, yeah, the action to end action. And I, you know, I guess, and it, sometimes, and I think it's a lot of a lot of this is to do with what you don't do rather than what you do do, <laughs> you know. And what we do do is often make a mess. So just don't do. That's that roadblock in that highway. Just. Mm -hmm. just. Yeah. So we we begin to restrain ourselves. That word is used fairly often in in Buddhism in uh, the suttas, is that we have restraint. Here's an example of restraint: is that if someone is, um, let us say, decides that they're going to go on a diet, mm -hmm. the place to have that diet is at the grocery store. Why is that? Because there they will restrain themselves from purchasing that stuff and taking it home, because it's easier to restrain one time at the store than it is to restrain ourselves every day yeah. when we've got it at home. So, this is what we mean by restraint. If we can restrain the senses in the way so that we're only looking at wholesome, then we don't have to filter out the unwholesome. So, not only do we have thoughts that are wholesome, we begin to monitor where we go and what we do and that kind of stuff to keep everything wholesome. Yeah. And so, we restrain our behaviors and actions and whatnot like that, being content with very little. Which now means that there's even less to do. Yeah. And so this is the comma that brings the end of comma is the comma of wisdom of recognizing that, hey, if I'm not going to get any benefit out of it right now, what's the point of doing it? That was one of the first things like, I remember we, we ever spoke about and it, you know, I liked it because, you know, you said basically if you, if you don't want anything, you, you kind of, no one can get to you. You kind of, no, you can't be corrupted because you don't want anything anyway. You know, like that's that, you know. That's, Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, that's 
It's absolutely brilliant. You, you, it's really hard to con people who don't want anything. Because <laughs> how are you going to get to them? What angle are you going to try to? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, playing on our emotions one way or the other. This is what it's all about: is propaganda, is to get us to really hate that or get us to really want this. And when we do that to a whole lot of people, you've got a revolution on your hands that perhaps you didn't need at all. And that's why. So, what was the one of the steps of Anapanasati? Anapanasati is, is it Veda? I mean, it's been a long time since I looked into this, but uh -huh. it, but Veda Pasana or something. Is that, is that the right word? Veda Pasana. Veda Nupasana is the feelings. Okay, yeah. if they cannot manipulate your feelings, they can't manipulate you. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool, though, isn't it? You know. <laughs> That's so cool. You know, there's so much going on all the time, you know, with media and just everywhere, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to sort of. That's what Sati is all about, is to wake up and look at how we're feeling, because how we're feeling may be in the process of being manipulated right now. Or we're having thoughts about it, that it was manipulated, being manipulating it all over again. And like you said in that talk with Guru Viking last night, you know, you kind of, you learn these feelings as well, you know, you, you learn, mm -hmm. you know, you learn from your, you copy your, your mum or your dad and how they dealt in a situation and all oh, that. My, when my sister sort of cried like that one time, she got given the toy. So, hey, maybe I'll cry like that this time, you know. <laughs> and all I got was slapped. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, 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 that's, 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 yeah, that's, uh, that's, that is a part of my conditioning. That's how it feels, actually. I was the little shit. She was the angel. But, um, that's another one. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so. And we wind up presenting that for long time and guess who's the one who has to deal with resentment now <laughs> exactly every time every it's funny it's funny you say that because you know i don't see my parents very often they live like an hour away but it's funny how you when you're back there you, you're transported you know the, the the these feelings that have kind of been latent you know and they, they come back to the surface again you know and all of a sudden you're back being seven again and in, 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 in your parents' house and the same dynamics and the same, just the same stuff, like, you know, it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then you come. Part you, of the reason that they behave so much like they did is because they know that you expect that of them and you do the same thing. And so everybody is almost like um, an unspoken rule yeah. that yeah. we can't be who we are now. We've got to pretend to be who we were back when. Yeah, and you can. And everybody does it, and everybody gets into the same war. <laughs> it's seductive, you know, to, to step back into these roles, and 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 you and it takes a lot of, say, presence of mind to to catch yourself in the act and think, I'm 37 now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not, I'm not five, exactly. you know. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, you know. And this person in front of me is not my dad. No. Even though he thinks so. Yeah, and and I'm goes, going to meet this guy right where he is right now, not the way that I met him when I was five. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, see him as a, a human being, you know. Uh, see him yeah. as a real human being right here, right now. Rather than some. Many times we do not want to do that. We want the parents to remain the way we remember them to be. Well, you said it's an unwritten contract where you both play the role. Mm -hmm. You know, you both got a role in this. You know. You know. 
good mum, bad son, or, uh, uh, you know, I guess that's whatever what that old role was, we go right back into it. Yeah. 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 Unless I say we're, we take control, you know, I guess. And, um, you know, we see, see that clearly and decide not to go down that path again, to, to be proud, I guess, I guess you're not, you're not being, you're not in the here now, are you? When you, when you're doing that, you've, you've slid back. 30 years or something, you know, and, and, and it, you're exactly not, so. you're not dealing with the reality right now. You know, you're, you're, you're coming out from the old, the history, you know, it's, um, in, in, in like, as a, like a robot, you know, like, you know, it's, it's gone to sleep again. One thing's for sure. And that is, it is much, uh, let us say it's much beneficial for one to go into that and to have some Dhamma with them have some dharma under the belt if they're a dharma dude they can handle that situation of going home a lot better it's a test is it you can you you could see it as a as a challenge you know as a it is it really is and not only that but it's quite insightful sometimes too to recognize what's going on or how i can see in them now how things used to be precisely i can see it now yeah 100 percent and it breaks the spell, maybe, you know. It bre- that's right. And, and, and having that spell broken right in front of you is quite liberating. To yeah. see those chains fall away. Yeah. Yeah, you see, exactly. You, you could have a, you could, I, I remember always idolizing my dad. You know, he was Superman, you know. And I, I kind of remember as you sort of growing up and seeing, you know, that, you know, maybe he's not so great all the time, you know. And, and that's okay now. Not, I don't have to hold him in that high ideal. He doesn't. He never met up to that anyway. No, that never was who he was. It was my idea who he was. I don't. When, when we he, all do that with our dead. And when he, yeah, and when he, yeah, and when he was, you know, going crazy and you know, whatever, um, you know, misbehaving quite badly. You know, you, you could say that's when you could have some compassion and think that he was. He was really scared back then. He was worried about losing his job and and mm-hmm. he and. He didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> you know, he didn't know he didn't have the skills to deal with it. So he wasn't Which a, gives you even more oomph yeah. to figure those things out for yourself. Yeah. That you can use his um, misery as your education. Yeah. 100%. And determination and enthusiasm to come out of that stuff. Yeah. You can break it in one generation. Yeah. I believe that. I, I, I know. And then, and then that way you are doing some good in the world as well, you know. It, it, exactly so, exactly so. We're not just surviving anymore. No, you're now real, living. Yeah, you kind of, yeah, thriving and, and kind of turning a, a, a kind of negative into a positive, you know, sort of transforming it, I guess. You know. Precisely, or better still, leaving the positive and the negative as is, and dropping positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Instead of dwelling on the positive and hoping to get rid of the negative, get rid of it all, mm-hmm. and be satisfied with nurturing rather than criticism. Mm-hmm. It already is all good. Yeah, and if you don't have to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative, we don't have to do that. <laughs> it's already just a fine like it is. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I'll take that away and have some thought with that because you automatically assume that you should be, I guess it's something to do with karma, that you yeah, accentuate the positive, you know, but I guess that sometimes accentuating the positive is just is just smearing over the negative, glossing exactly. over. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That yin-yang symbol, like, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, in every, you know, the, the white bit's got a bit of black in it and the, the black's got a bit of white in it and it's sort of, uh, <laughs> it will it will turn into its opposite uh, eventually, like love. If you you can fall in love with someone and kind of hate them, like event, you know, you can go from love to hate <laughs> when your expectations are kind of. In the movies, it's backwards. They throw these two people together in combat or something, and they hate each other, and then after a while, they love each other. In the movie, they don't go to the second part of it, and that's when they after they sure. fall in love with each other. Now they start the war. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're not the person I, I thought you were, and it's because you were blind anyway. You didn't see it. You were blinded by the. The, the the drug of love, you know, like the, the oxytocin and the <laughs> and the, the glamour and, and all this. Didn't see the fish oh, hooks. Exactly. <laughs> blind blind by the adrenaline, blind by the oxytocin, and now blind back by the adrenaline again. Yeah. It's a cycle. Yeah. And that's the, right. And so the thing to do is to get out of that cycle. And when you do, everything is beautiful. Everything is marvelous. We don't need that cycle. The problem is that it keeps going like that in that cycle. Mm. You're that's the samsara that, wheel that the Buddhist talks about. Get out of that thing. Yeah, you're saying you, you know, reality doesn't need that lipstick put on it, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. always enough as it is. Exactly. Don't, don't need to tie it up, you know, because if, if you were taking it all in, you, you, you would see it was all right anyway, just as it is. You know, that, the crack in the window, it's fine. <laughs> it's, uh, you know. Exactly. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. This is the way to look at it as opposed to we. I know what good is and we're going to get it. You hear that difference? Everything is all right. Everything is fine. No worries versus I know what's good and we're going to get it. But that's, and that, and that, when you're saying that, I've got images of like Christian evangelicals, for example, like, you know, like we're, mm-hmm. we're, they're so you know, they're, 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 they're God has a war with it. I mean, the war of good and evil, that's the whole show. That's yeah, it. That, Have, that's having it. that war. Let's get out of that war. We don't need wars with gods and hell and, yeah. and, uh, devils. And you know what I mean as well? Like the, 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 the preacher, he's kind of, you know, he's, um, he says it with such fervor and such like against, like, <laughs> against like, uh, you know, I don't know, prostitution. Oh, it's important. He's talking about, he's talking about you know, he's, and prostitutes are evil and all this kind of stuff and it turns out you know in the papers later that you know he was seeing some prostitutes you know it's just <laughs> it's a, you know it's the, the sort of, he, he was yeah, uh, those red lights are sneaky <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean though he's it's a, you know Well, Steve, I've really enjoyed our little conversation, and I really appreciate you having so much to say about um, uh, the video that Steve and I did yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you, you you're getting it. You're coming back into the groove. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all there again. I'm 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 happy as well because I thought I'd kind of you know I'd led myself to believe that I screwed it all up and kind of forgotten it all in, but it's 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 not Never far mind. Away. Start again. Exactly. Exactly. It's just the 
Exactly. Every everybody. That's that's the <laughs> forgiveness. That's the forgiveness right there, isn't it? That you've got another chance. Yeah, I don't need to forgive myself. I can just forgive what I did wrong. Yeah, but it's you know gone. what I'm saying. You, you, you like there's a there's a kind of every because every moment is new. There's there's kind of mm-hmm. the blessing. Yeah, who is that dude anyway? So yeah, kind of yeah 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 yeah. That really helped me what you said about that because I when we first started talking again I sort of was coming from a place where I, you know, sort of messed up a little bit, you know, in a, you know, sort of recently and and you know I can with resolve I can say I'm not going to do that again, you know, I know, and exactly. then that, that is the forgiveness right there, you know, this um, mm-hmm. can't change the past. That resolution is the is the better forgiveness, and it's a learning. It was a learning. If I hadn't learned it then. Who knows what will happen down the line, you know, something worse. Well, here you are now, and that's the important thing. Yeah, I was seeking refuge. That's, that's, and as you said, I, I was, and that's the wisdom, you know, I'm seeking that wisdom, you know, which is in here anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. Okay, Steve, Dan, we'll see you later. I'm yeah. really glad to see you back again. Really nice to see you, Dan, right? So, have a nice, uh, have a nice evening. Yes, I, it's about that time, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you soon, Dumbo. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.